This is Rashawn Slater, first round draft pick for the LA Chargers, and you're listening to the Charged Up Bolts podcast. Bolt up. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Charged Up Bolts podcast. I'm here with the one and only, the absolute iconic Jamie Hoyle from the Lightning Round podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm good. You're, you're embarrassing me and flattering me at the same time, but no, I, I'm, I'm really good, and I'm glad to be here with you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing to to have you. I, I want to hear a bit. Like you're an icon of mine. You're you're partly the reason why we we have our podcast. Um, obviously, not an American one over here across the pond. Um, you know, many a night I've listened to you. I remember in particular deep and darkest days of Mike McCoy and your special <laughs> Halloween episode. That was one of our favorites. That one, and I love the uh, the serial podcast too. Was one of my favorites. Oh yeah. Absolutely fantastic! So you've inspired you've inspired so many podcasts, and you know, still still a listener all these all these years later. But uh, you know, it's fantastic. How did you guys get get into it? I, I missed the very early early days. So what was, what's the history of it? Uh, it's actually interesting. So we we were both we didn't know each other at all uh, a couple of months before the show started. We were both writing for a blog. Um, trying to decide if I should name it at this point. We usually try not to name it, but. Um, the blog was called Bolt, Bolt Blitz. They were they were one of the original Chargers blogs, and they had I don't know twenty some odd writers. And we were at a fan meetup in like May or June, some somewhere along that timeline in Mission Valley here in San Diego. And there were I don't know fifty or sixty fans, and there was a writers roundtable lined up, and we were all sitting around talking and um, asking questions and answering questions and all that kind of stuff and Garrett just happened to sit next to me and uh we we hit it off pretty well and kind of went about our business we did the we did the meetup went our separate ways and I at the time I was doing um, a weekly radio show here with the guy who owned the 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 blog it was called Bolt Blitz Radio it was once a week on this tiny little country station that nobody listened to and we were doing the show and I was getting interviews with players and the guy who was running the show wanted all the contact information and he was abusing the player's contact information and asking them to like call his girlfriend on her birthday and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And I was getting really irritated because I was trying to build a reputation with these guys and he was kind of ruining it. And I was uh, about to leave the, uh, the, the, uh, blog, excuse me. I was about to leave the blog and the radio show and Garrett came to me and said, I had this idea. I said, you know, we kind of have similar outlooks. Why don't we go grab a beer and I'll just run my idea by you. And I didn't, I still didn't really know him all that well. So we went and we had a beer and he was like, I think we should do a podcast. So we sat there for a couple hours talking about the show. And I was like, I mean, I'm happy to do it, but who's going to listen besides our family? How do we get it out there? Like we're just a couple of nobodies. Who's going to listen to us? And uh, he said, no, I, you know, I'll produce it. I'll do all the producing work and we'll get it out there. And at the time we were on a, a website called all, to, uh, what was it? Cover, cover 32. They covered all, all 32 NFL teams. That's where we got our start. First show. I think we had six listeners, all family. <laughs> Next show was like 25 listeners, still mostly family and friends. And then it just kind of started building and growing. And before we knew it, we were huge, much bigger than we ever thought we'd be always sitting around talking about, you know, how are we getting, you know, thousands of people to listen to us? How, how did this many people care about what we had to say? And it just kept growing. And with Garrett's talents as a producer, 
we do those specialty shows a couple times a year and they were always huge hits and we started doing the draft stuff and it just kind of snowballed from there and it got huge and it's been a lot of fun. Um, still amazed at how big it's gotten and how much recognition we get. We get calls to go on radio shows and TV shows. And I was on a, I was on TV out, out in England. Uh, uh, I think BBC. Yes. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was incredible when you popped yeah. up. I was like, yeah. what is going did actually, on? Did you actually see it? Yes. <laughs> I hadn't seen you tweeting about it either. I'm just like chilling out. Like, what is Jamie doing over here? That's incredible. Yeah. It's so funny. It happened out of the blue. I woke up on a Saturday morning and the writer was asking me if I would come on and talk about the playoffs. And we put it together in a span of like 45 minutes. And I think I went on that same day or the next day and did and answered her questions. And it was so spur of the moment. It wasn't planned at all, but you know, it's just one of those fun things that you get to do as a result of doing the show for so long and having, having the brand. No, no, we, we, we thoroughly enjoyed it and still listening in. And what I like about you guys is, is when we, we try and do something a little bit similar, which is different takes, more detailed takes, a bit something on you, not just the run of the mill. I, I, you know, I can listen to my mates black go on about the NFL for 20 minutes if I want. And it's fine, but it's, it's so interesting to listen, especially the special episodes, Jamie, absolutely fantastic. So hats, hats off to you guys. Did you, have you made it over to the UK for any, any games over here? No, um, I haven't been to the UK since I was in college. So it's been 20, almost 30 years since I've been in the UK. It's been a long time. Well, we extend an invite over to you, but we, we can't believe that there's all these things when you look at American Twitter about the charges. Oh, they've got no fans. Look at this and all that. And it's so the polar opposite over here in the UK. Like the charges are one of the most supported teams. You get traditional bandwagon fans that whoever won the Super Bowl, everyone's got their jersey on. You get that, especially with the new sport. But um, I remember going and seeing the Saints at Wembley when when we just lost with Rivers, and then that was there was a reasonable, decent number of charges, as many as any other team. And then when we played the Tennessee Titans, it was absolutely unreal. There were it was just a sea of of powder blue. It was incredible. So they're very well supported and respected over here, um, and it's growing. Like NFL starting to come over and get get interest in, and lots more fans. Well, I think I'm a jinx, though. I have to apologize to you, Americans. <laughs> I started supporting the Chargers, and I've never seen... The first year we didn't win the division was my first season as a Chargers fan. I, I chose my team, um, and I turned on the NFL, started watching it on Game Pass, and then <laughs> the first ever play I watched was Percy Harvin from the Minnesota Vikings return 102-yard kickoff return. So I think I've just jinxed us. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that will be overcome soon enough and I'll get to see some some charge of success because I like hearing about it. This is why I love listening to you guys. Hearing about some of the good old days, what it was like when when the Chargers were one of the best teams in the NFL. And um, We haven't had that, but it, it could be coming back. Um, and it's kind of got to come back um, because this is... We talk a lot on the podcast about, you know, everyone's saying fourth and Staley, but we think it's also fourth and Telesco. It's it's almost like his last chance. If the Chargers don't have serious success this season, it could be his last year. Do you see that? Do you think that he we have to get maybe to even to the Super Bowl to keep his job, or has he got a bit of a longer leash? What would you give him? Um so I I you guys listen to the show, so you know I feel like uh Telesco kind of carries John Spanos's water to an extent. I think he's kind of a glorified secretary for Spanos, for, for John Spanos in a lot of ways. 
Um, he's had a nice off season. I think a lot of that, and it amazes me that people don't see it, but to me, I think a lot of the off season is being driven by Staley. I think he, they, the coaches are doing a better job of evaluating what they need and the players that fit in the holes that they have. And they're doing a better job of communicating to Telesco what they need. And he's going out and getting what they need. I think a lot of their struggles have been Telesco maybe listening to his coaches too much and having some bad coaches, obviously, who didn't either didn't know what they needed or couldn't properly communicate what they needed. And, you know, they were kind of plugging holes with backup guys, with guys who were nearing the end of the line, you know, the, the Linval Josephs, the Sean Lismores in the middle of the defensive line. There were certain positions they just didn't value. They just weren't going to spend top dollar on it. They weren't going to spend top draft picks on it. You know, they might, when, when it got dire, they might draft a guy like Jerry Tillery at defensive tackle, but it wasn't something they were going to invest a ton of resources in. And now they're looking at things more analytically. They're bringing in younger, better players who still have some upside left in them to fit into the holes that they need. And I think uh, Staley deserves a lot of credit for that, him and his coaching staff. In terms of Telesco, I think he was, I think he was, when they were go to me, when they were hiring Staley, it looked like Telesco was very defeated over the idea of having to fire Anthony Lynn and the questions that he was answering and the way that he was answering them in press conferences leading up to the hiring of Staley. He just seemed like a guy who felt like he was being beat down and he seemed very defensive and, and, and worn out from the position. And I think he's got new life after hiring Staley. I think he's got some new life. He probably has to win at least one playoff game to stick around, but I don't know how much anything changes if he's not here. Cause I don't know how many of the decisions he's actually making. Yeah. I, 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 when I listen, I do tend to agree with you on this, this point and he, he's not pulling up any trees and dominating the entire franchise. It's not his style. He's, he's a cog in the machine. And I agree with you about the, the way that his previous coaches dictated, sort of talked about what they wanted. I think one of them just brought a hammer and went, there you go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> get me a hammer get me a hammer <laughs> went, I don't know, I don't know. Per Perryman looks good yeah um but uh no it's it's it, for me I, I think he's he got to make a serious push in the playoffs he hasn't been that successful I like the guy I want to root for the guy but he's 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 I don't know I, I I'm always cautious I don't like to get rid of coaches thinking that there's always a worse coach waiting as much as there might be a better one but I think he's I'll be asking serious questions if we don't probably a couple of playoff wins for me. What getting in and getting a win and going through, I want to see, this is our year for me. And there's lots of hope, lots of optimism. The Mac signing has sort of energized everybody. I think, you know, Zion was, was, was my pick in the draft. I was happy with him. I thought he was a David DeCastro type pick at that spot. And I, I was buzzing about that. Um, and, and I like the pieces of this off season because I, I think you make a great point. Staley's come in. He knows what he wants. And when he can't afford a premium player, because it's not a first round pick, he goes and gets a guy that did it with success for him in, in LA or, or someone he had success with at the Bears. Because I, I think we're going to have a really good start to the season. But what has you been your absolute favourite thing this off season? Is there a particular player, a particular move that, you, that you've just got you really energised or no? Um, I think the off season as a whole has been really promising. I, I think for me, if you look at the off season, I'm a big process guy. I want to look at the process and how are they thinking through things? How are they going about signing guys? Who are they signing? Why are they signing them? 
what's what's the analysis look like? And to me, their process has always been bad. We need a defensive tackle. Well, Linval Joseph is cheap because he's on he's about to retire in a couple of years. Let's go plug him in and see what we can squeeze out of him. That's kind of always been the mentality. You know, they've had some some splash signings. They did sign Orlando Franklin. They've spent money in free agency, but it's always been bad scheme fits. It's always been guys who just didn't get the job done for whatever reason. They've spent, but they haven't spent wisely. This year, it seemed like the process was better. You know, you look at the way they approach the defensive line. We couldn't stop the run this year. We sucked on the defensive line. This is them talking, not me. You know, they're thinking out loud, but we we were terrible on the defensive line. We couldn't stop anybody. So let's get better, but let's not just find warm bodies who we can hope to get a couple years out of. Let's find guys who are going to play out their entire contract, and we might want to sign to another contract when they're done. So they go out and they get uh, Johnson. Um, why am I blanking on his name? Austin Johnson from Austin Johnson. New York, thank yeah. you. Just drew, drew a blank. They went out and they get Austin Johnson from the Giants, somebody who I like coming out of college, somebody who I think is capable of playing nose tackle in this defense, but he can also play some three. He can also play some five technique. He gives them versatility, kind of following that uh, positionless model on the defensive line where guys can play up and down the line and not just because they're asking them to play there, but because they can actually do it. This isn't a Jerry Tillery. Well, he can play nose, he can play three, he can play five, but he sucks at all three, but we're going to move him around because we're going to try to figure out where he fits. This is Johnson can legitimately play nose tackle. He can legitimately play three. He'd make for a really big base end at the five. If they need him there, he can do all three. He's an outstanding run defender. He can create pressure by collapsing the pocket from the inside. He does everything well. Then they go and they try to find somebody who can provide some pass rush and help against the run. Both Johnson and Sebastian Joseph Day, they were very highly regarded, very highly ranked, I should say, in run-stop win percentage. It's a new new stat from ESPN over the last few years, uh, in the last couple of years. Johnson had three sacks in seven games. Uh, jo- I'm sorry, Joseph Day had three sacks in seven games before he got hurt last year. He was very, very productive against the run the last two years. So they, they look at the analytics. They find young guys who are on the upswing, who may not cost as much as some of the higher names, the bigger names on the market. And they plug them in, they give them two, three-year deals. And then you look at it and you say, well, if they play really well, they're going to be both in line for an extension at the when, when they're done. And hopefully that's the direction we're heading in is, hey, they played really well. Let's get them both, at least one of them, if not both of them, locked up to an extension when their contract ends. It's not a, maybe we can get two years out of them and see how things go. Hopefully they last. Hopefully they don't fall apart. You know, their arm doesn't fall off or whatever the case may be with an injury. These are guys who are hopefully going to be healthy and productive and be stalwarts in the defensive line. Then you look at what they did in the secondary. You look at JC Jackson, press corner. He can play pretty much any coverage you need, but he's a, he's a man-to-man cover guy. He's that, that star that you needed, the guy who can cover anybody anywhere on the field. You put him on one side of the field, he's basically shutting down half the field more often than not. Um, then they go out and they find a bunch of guys who can play multiple positions in the secondary in the draft. You know, JT Woods, there was some conversation about him. You know, is he that good? Did they take him too early? They see him as a guy who can play corner, a guy who can play both safety spots. You'll probably see him playing some nickel linebacker at times. Uh, he has ball skills. He can move around. You're looking at that positionless defense. Uh, 
something that I love because it makes them harder to predict. It makes them harder to scheme for because you can move guys around and no matter where they are, you've got Naz, you've got Woods, you've got JC, you've got uh, Derwin, even Asante Samuel Jr. All these guys can play multiple positions in the defense. So it makes them harder to, it makes them harder to read when the offense lines up. Yeah. I love that too. Yeah. Definitely agree with you there. Great moves. Great, great moves. And then I think my favorite was adding Kyle Van Noy. Uh, and it kind of flew under the radar. It's a one-year deal. He's a veteran, but this is a guy who can play edge. He can play defensive end if you need him to. Probably not in this scheme so much, but stand-up edge. And he can play in the middle of the defense as a linebacker. He's a key piece of a zero-blitz defense because he's able to cover so well, because he can rush the passer and he can blitz, and he can play the run. You can play him anywhere, basically, in the front seven on the edge, either middle linebacker spot, and he's got, he's not going to be a liability in coverage, and he can give you some pass rush opportunities. That makes you deep at two positions, and again, makes you positionless, less predictable. So that, I think, was one of the better signings for me just because of how I see them lining up with him and, and how I think they'll move him around and how I think it'll make them uh, – It'll make it easier for them to disguise coverages and blitz packages, in my opinion. No, it's, it's, it's really exciting because I, I was worried normal Telesco probably would have come out of the draft. And my biggest concern going into the draft was the fact that we were seemingly relying on Murray to come back from injury and a terrible season and Tranquil coming off his injury. And that was our linebacker core. Twitter told me to shut up and that we were taking a wide receiver and that Staley couldn't care less. He could have played me at linebacker and in his scheme, it would work. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just not buying it. But then we brought reader in who had success um, in, in with the Rams. And then like you say, Carl adds complete versatility across that front seven. Um, so loads of options there. It's it, finally Telesco isn't, we're not going into a season saying Telesco is just completely ignoring these seven holes. What's he doing? Like, <laughs> or plugging it with an ancient dude, like you say, Linval Joseph. He hasn't done that this season, but I, I, I agree. I think this is more Staley improving this team. He's getting control of his first, first franchise from the front, from the leading from the front, and we're seeing the benefits. And it's going to be really exciting. Just touching on the draft, um, Zion ended up being my guy. I just thought it made too much sense for us to take that that tackle it was uh, the, the guard sorry it was he was gonna fall to that point I, I looked at the, the David Castro comparison and it made a lot of sense um a lot of people wanted a wide receiver and I just didn't see how with the 17th pick you take a wide receiver that isn't going to see significant snaps because he's going to be play I know you plan for the future and you take the best available perhaps I was told and everyone was in love with a larvae and Williams and whoever but I just can't see how you take a wide receiver at 17. And then you say, Palmer, your career's pretty much over. Buy Guyton, who's done all right. And then somehow find this guy snaps with Williams and Allen. I didn't see how it fit. Was I blind? Do you think there were reasonable calls for the wide receiver? Or was Telesco sensible to avoid that? And who did you want in the draft? Um, I I went into the offseason thinking that I was wide receiver all the way. Um, and the reason is, is because I think they're very slow on offense. And I think people will look at the offense and they'll say, well, they were top five. They were really efficient. They could move the ball. But if you look at the way their offense operated against teams like the Ravens, the Vikings, the first game against the Broncos, and a couple other games here and there, we've seen it in previous seasons too. The Dolphins did it in the year before last. They struggle with zero blitz schemes. They struggle with getting off of press coverage. They are very slow. You can roll them up in press coverage. 
They have a hard time getting off of that press jam. You can, you can take away the deep ball. I think Guyton is somewhat predictable as a deep threat. He can get down the field, but that's really all he does. And if he's in the game, pretty good chance they're, they're going to try to get the ball deep to him. So I wanted them to get somebody, not just fast, but somebody who was twitchy, somebody who could make people miss in the field, maybe take a, a tunnel screen and take it 20 yards for a big game. Because I think this, this offense went through issues where they had to string together 12, 15, 18 yard plays just to get a field goal or a touchdown. And they needed somebody who could touch the ball once and get you 20, 25, 30, 70 yards, whatever it might be, and turn an 18 play drive into a six play drive and get you some explosive plays, not just down the field, but catching the ball underneath, making people miss and stretching those short plays that is such a big part of this offense into 15 plus yard gains on a consistent basis. I think that's what they're really missing. So I went in wanting them to take a wide receiver. I watched all the wide receivers. I really liked Alave. Jamison Williams would have been perfect for them for what they need. Um, I was a big fan of Garrett Wilson. I also really liked Traylon Burks. When they were on the board at 17, Alave, Williams, Wilson, and London were all gone. Their top five picks, according to Garrett's source that we've been working with for the last couple of years, the top five players that they had on their board were Zion, uh, Karlaftis, uh, Kyer Elam, uh, Traylon Burks, and Trevor Penning. And they wound up taking Zion because Zion was he was their top rated interior lineman guard center, whatever he was their top rated interior lineman. And again, talking process, he was the most complete player left on their board. So they took him as I watched all the players. And I, I went through the, the draft process, my thinking changed. I went in thinking, got to get a wide receiver. And I figured eventually I came to the conclusion that if they didn't get one in the first, they'd probably get one later. Um, and by the time we got to the draft, my thought process was, I really wanted Dax Hill. That was my guy because he's another positionless player. He can play slot. He can play outside. He can play both safety positions. He played some linebacker in college. He can play nickel. He gives you more options and he's instinctive and he's got good ball skills and he would have been the best athlete secondary wise. As soon as he stepped on the field, he's an even better athlete than Derwin. So in terms of twitch and explosiveness, so that's why I wanted him. But by the time we got to the draft, the two guys on my list were Dax and Zion. And I figured once we got there, I kind of figured good chance it was going to be Zion because he was the best guard on the board. You can plug him in at left guard. You can plug him in at right guard. There's people talking about him maybe taking over for Lindsley at center in a couple of years. It just made sense. They had to invest in the line. It, I didn't want it to be Trevor Penning unless somebody like a cross or a, an Aquanu or a Neil fell, which was highly unlikely to 17, it was either Zion or you're skipping the offensive line altogether until later in the draft, because there just wasn't anybody else worth taking at that point. So I love the pick. I think it's a really smart pick. I think they're going to be very happy with it. I also would have been very happy with Dak, but I appreciate the process. I like the fact that they're investing in the line. They're trying to build that fortress around Herbert. They're trying to beef up the interior running game. It's going to make them tougher. It's going to make them a line of scrimmage team, which is something they're trying to become on offense and defense. They're trying to win the line of scrimmage, which is something they've eschewed for way too long. 
So I love the process. I love the pick. I think it's a great fit. It, I, I'm perfectly happy with it. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. And um, I mean, there was a period of time when I was riling up Twitter saying we were going to take the Kobe Dean linebacker and uh, I was pretty much lynched by Chargers Twitter. <laughs> but it's okay because we, we managed to get some free agents to, to, to plug that gap. But um, I, I'm just glad it wasn't Trevor Penning. I was never sold on him. I think it was far too raw, um, just just not not my cup of tea. Uh, and, and unless, you're exactly right, unless that talent fell and the, the quarterback rush obviously never happened. First of all, how lucky are we as Chargers fans? We go from Rivers to Herbert and other franchises. If you needed a quarterback in this draft, oh, just the misery. Yeah, some, it, some franchises have traded for not the draft to need a quarterback for sure. Really, really isn't. Um, we want, by the way, on record, we did say we wanted Tua or Justin in the year, and you know, luckily we've got the better of the two that year. But um, we're very, very privileged as a franchise. But unless that loads of quarterbacks have gone and driven down some sort of talent like a Derwin James that came down, which didn't really happen, Zion was just waiting for us there. And, and, and I, I agree with you. I like the process. I like the protecting Herbert. Um, and it'd be interesting to see what they do at right tackle as well, because um, I, I've seen Pipkin's tiny glimmers of a really good player and then absolute bucket loads of absolute tripe. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's going to be the answer. But um, I, I think right tackle will be a challenge, but it's not as big a challenge if you're missing a left tackle or, or something else. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would have been nice for them to take a tackle later in the draft, but they seem awfully comfortable with Norton Pipkins for whatever reason. I think Pipkins, if you're looking to be a line of scrimmage team and you want to take some pressure off of them, you might see them run the ball a little bit more if Pipkins winds up winning the job because he is very good in the running game. I will give him that. There have been flashes in pass protection. He had a pretty good game against Denver last year. I think there was one other game that he played pretty well in, uh, KC. Uh, he played pretty well against KC as well. But there is way more bad tape than good tape. Lots of talk about him working with the, you know, the offensive lineman, uh, whisperer Duke Merriweather this year. Uh, Merriweather has been saying he is one of his most improved students. He's been working with, I think he works with 15 to 20 guys every year. And he's named Pipkins as one of his most improved students, which is encouraging. Um, I, you know, I think there are a lot of people jumping to the conclusion that, you know, because he's been improved in dry reps and controlled environment and practice, that means he's a different guy and he's going to be, you know, he's going to hold down that right tackle job. You know, we have to wait and see. He had some bad habits that needed to be cleaned up. And, you know, we all have bad habits that we fall back on when things are stressful or are not going our way. So we'll have to see if he can clean those things up. Certainly you want him to succeed. Nobody's rooting for him to fail. Uh, you want him to succeed mainly so the pick pays off and so that they have an answer at right tackle. And obviously you want him to succeed so we don't have to watch Storm Norton try to block Max Crosby 80 times a year. That didn't work out so well, did it? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> don't. I, I, I booked the day off. You see, we have eight hours difference between us. You know, I'm nearly bedtime in your middle of the day. I stayed up. <laughs> to watch that absolute shower of a game. <laughs> just, just <laughs> awful. I was just screaming at Game Pass about Storm Norton. Give him some help. Just leave. Oh, he got, I think he still lives in Max Crosby's pocket at the weekend. So uh, yeah, it's disappointing, yeah. but you know, this is our is, year. That's something, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's no, something you can, that, you know, some people have been saying, I've seen it around that, you know, it's, it's easier to help out a right tackle when he's got a, a solid guard playing next to him. So there's some belief that maybe they can take some pressure off of 
whoever it is, probably Pipkins. My guess is Pipkins wins the job, but whoever winds up winning the job, there's some belief that if Zion pays off early and he's as good as they think he's going to be, that he can help take some pressure off by helping out the right tackle. So, and obviously they can chip with running backs. They can have tight ends help out. Um, so hopefully they can find ways to cover up some of those deficiencies, whoever it is that winds up winning the job. Just just believe, Jamie, it's going to be Zach. Is it Zach Bailey? The guy we got <laughs> off waivers? It's the dream. I had no idea who he was. I'm like, is it our new right tackle? Probably not. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so how do you see the season going? I'd love to hear your predictions for what the Chargers are going to achieve this year. Have you got any strong feelings? Yeah, we actually just did our, our prediction show last week. Um, and I I wound up at 11 and 6. I could easily see them winning anywhere from 11 to 13 games. I think there are some swing games that could kind of play out as trap games for them. I think uh, people are writing off Denver. I think Denver is going to be much better than most people are giving them credit for, especially Chargers fans. I think they're going to have a very explosive offense. We all got used to their, their offense sucking because they had no quarterback. I think Russell Wilson is going to make that wide receiver core really good, and they already run the ball well, and they have a good offensive line. So I think they're going to be pretty solid and give the Chargers some fits. Um, the Browns game feels like kind of a trap game and a swing game to me. Um, there are a couple others that could go either way. Um, trying to think there was one other one in particular that stood out to me. I don't have the schedule right in front of me, but anyway, um, I think there are four or five games that could kind of go either way that could really define the season. And I could see them winning anywhere from 11 to 13 games. And I, right now I have them at 11 and six. And I think that's pretty reasonable. Reasonable. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I came up at, uh, in our in our episode at 12, 12 and 5. And for me, I'm going to hold a high high bar t- to the team. For me, 12 and 5 is the absolute minimum I will accept as a Chargers fan. I'm demanding justice that this is our year. We're going, <laughs> on, a, we're going on a run. And I cannot see all these NFL jerseys and caps all the way in the UK. And we are failing to deliver. So this is our year. I think minimum 12, perhaps 30. I, I agree with you. on the, You can tell we're Chargers fans when we're looking at the schedule and going, oh God, that's a trap game. We might lose that one. And they're probably the easiest games on the schedule. But, <laughs> you know, I remember when we were the only team to lose to the Browns that season. So, you know, we, we have got form, but these aren't, these aren't those Charges. We hope, we hope these aren't those Charges. Um, I definitely agree with you on the Broncos. I think, the AFC West this season is going to be one of the strongest divisions in the history of the NFL. It's going to be very competitive. I think I agree with you. The Broncos are going to be very good. I don't know why everyone's going on. Oh, Russell Wilson's washed up. Every year, the Broncos embarrass us with Drew Locke. You know, <laughs> Russell Wilson's <laughs> yeah, coming exactly. in, my man. <laughs> why do we think this is going to get better for us? No, it's going to be more challenging. Um, I think the Raiders will regress slightly. Um is my personal feel, but I still think it doesn't matter in a division. They're still going to run as close. Um, and then we've got to come up against Mahomes. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's our year. It's our year before we have to go and spend big money on Herbert and Derwin James's renewal and pretend the cap is, is real because it only seems to be real in places like LA uh, for us. <laughs> um, you know, we have to go and make a, a big run. And I, I think this, this could be our year. I'm, I, I think we get to the Super Bowl. Maybe we come up short, although... I think the real Super Bowl will be the AFC Championship. Once you get over that hurdle, the NFC, you know, unless Brady stood opposite, then you've just lost, haven't you? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a good chance. Now, thank you so much for coming on. It's it's an honour and a and a privilege to speak with you from across the pond and and just say how grateful we are to have you on. We'd love to have you again uh, on in the future. Um, but you know, have you got any final words? What, what one big one big prediction? One thing you're really hoping for to see? Maybe not just a victory. Maybe something 
a little anecdote or something, particular player you'd like to see explode? Have you got anything you really want to? What's your personal dirty secret for the Chargers this year? My personal dirty secret. Um, Don't tell me about Garrett. He's not good. He's not allowed to be about Garrett's uh, <laughs> fetishes. <laughs> no, I don't know what Garrett's fetishes are. We're we're not that close. Oh, uh, um, <laughs> uh, I I think my I think the thing that I'm probably most looking forward to is just having a competent, semi-complete offensive line. I just want to see what that means for protecting Herbert and opening up the running game because I think they've got some opportunities to really involve uh, Isaiah Spiller in the running game between the tackles in particular. They don't lose much with him when he's on the field as a receiver. He's a really good pass protector. He's also a really good lead blocker. So that opens some opportunities for him and Eckler to be on the field together. And I think if you can have him and Eckler on the field together and you can make Eckler that kind of speedy, twitchy wide receiver out of the slot, you can get the ball too quickly. I think it opens up that short passing game a lot. It's going to put some pressure on defenses to creep up towards the line of scrimmage and maybe open up the deep part of the field a little bit more. And I think they're going to be able to close games out better with Spiller and the offensive line. So I think I'm just looking forward to seeing the offensive line gel. I mean, that's absolutely legitimate. I mean, mine is the fact that uh, Jerry Tillery is going to prove he's the greatest interior pass rusher in the history of the NFL and come forth and win himself a new contract. But, uh, Oh, you're, you want to end that, the end the show that way, huh? You're, you're trying to like rile me up. Is that, is that what's going on here? <laughs> that's how it works, mate. That's how it goes down. <laughs> we're, we're about to sign off and then you take a shot like that. That's how that works. Shot across the bow. But that's how we do it. <laughs> I'm not even gonna let you come back and, def- and, and counter argument. It's an absolute <laughs> pleasure to have you on the show and thank you. Bolt up. You're very welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to do it anytime. Thanks for the invitation. This is Rashawn Slater, first round draft pick for the LA Chargers.